Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What. Today we've got Fraser Edwards on and he's the CEO at Checked. Hi Fraser. Hi Dan. Hi Tom. How are we? Uh, tired. It's been a long week, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, pretty good otherwise. Pretty good otherwise. Good. Let's jump straight in then. Uh, do you want to tell everyone a bit about what you do? Sure. Uh, so I'm Fraser, CEO at Checked, and we're building the authentic data economy. Uh, at least that's what we're telling most people. Um, <laughs> and then, oh, it's just then there's so many, so many technical layers underneath. Um, and then for people who are kind of more familiar with self-sovereign identity um, and that kind of paradigm, uh, we're building kind of the payment rails, customizable commercial models for self-sovereign identity and generally trusted data and authentic data. Um, yeah, and I guess prior to that was working at Accenture um, as a tech consultant, working on stuff like uh, self-sovereign identity for international travel through projects like the known traveler digital identity uh, pilot and with central banks on stuff like Jasper Ubin, where we're working with the Central Bank of Singapore and Central Bank of Canada. So, wow. yeah, a bit of a jack of all trades and hopefully that's setting me up well for building what we're doing at Checked. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's first <laughs> let's first talk about. I'm really interested in self-sovereign identity. Could you tell us a little bit more about that in layman's terms? Yeah, absolutely. So probably the best way of describing it is to compare it to what happens now, and with with a little bit of a comparison against like what happens in a non-digital world. So like in a non-digital world, like you get your passport, it's in your wallet, or well, your driving license is your wallet somewhere, probably in a drawer at home. But the kind of those documents, like they're under your control, like you are given them, you can use them wherever you want. Um, and no one really who's issued that document is really kind of tracing you about the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we move into a digital world and look at what's happening right now, broadly what's happening is all of that data, all those credentials, all that information is being built around companies. So even though it's about you, it's being stored with companies. Okay. So it's why probably most of your listeners will have somewhere around 150 to 200 accounts tied to an email address. It's why they don't really know the passwords to half of those. It's why the other half are probably on the dark web. Um, and just the whole the whole kind of paradigm is broken. And probably where it's worst is when you're looking at like um, the, the kind of Google and Facebook logins where the trade-off of that is they're just tracing you everywhere that you're using that and then selling it onto advertisers. Mm-hmm. Um, and really self-sovereign identity, like the best way I can describe it is it's the antithesis of all of that. It's putting you at the center of the ecosystem. It's returning or like making the digital world like the physical world. So you are given your data, you can take it around with you, you can decide what you receive and who you share it to. You can even decide like what you share in terms of like redacting certain parts of the information. So just, it makes you the center of the ecosystem. Um, It's probably best explained using some use cases. So Mm -hmm. yeah, happy to roll into those. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm interested, yeah. Cool. So the one, the one that always gets talked about is like reusable KYC. So know your customer. Um, so if you ever, if you've ever signed up for like a rental car, a bank account, like a telephone service, like any of that stuff, like you have to prove who you are. And broadly, what happens every single time is like, especially now that the neo banks have cracked it, like you scan a passport, you take a selfie, and it goes off to some back end engine or someone like in a in a in a center just checking these over. Mm-hmm. Um, and you probably like if if anyone's like me, I keep on opening up multiple of these accounts. So I'm going through that process relatively regularly now. Mm. And it just seems a little bit 
bit absurd that I'm going through that same check. And actually for a lot of these companies, that check is being done by the same company. So <laughs> I'm just showing up in the same system multiple times for different clients. Um, so that's, that's one example of like, you'd basically be able to reuse that kind of initial credential and just use it to infinity or until it kind of, until it dies. But there's also another kind of, well, a couple of other ones that are kind of key to explaining like how powerful this is. And one is, um, like I moved house this year and I had to go back through that 200 accounts and just change my postal address on pretty much all the ones oh, I cared about. Wow. Yeah, it took a while, took a while. Um, <laughs> and I still know that there's like probably bank statements landing in my old flat that I've left. Um, and everyone has this problem and it's kind of just like swept under the rug, but every so often something material goes to the wrong place. Mm. Um, but the beauty of SSI is I could effectively tell my phone to go and update my address on every single account that I've registered with. And it would just go and do that for me. And I don't need to go and do it at every single one. It just handles the entire thing seamlessly. Um, and I think the final one that I'd, I'd use to like explain some of the other powers of this is um, because that data historically has been built like centralized around companies, um, it, it, it can't be combined in new and like innovative ways. So a great example of or like a great impact of SSI is because it brings all that data onto the individual. As long as you get that individual's consent to share that data, you could start combining data in combinations which have never been possible before. So the easiest example of that is like the COVID passes that are going on right now. Mm -hmm. And a year and a half ago, there was no way that your like health records and vaccine records and antibody testing, like any of that was going to be anywhere near your passport and boarding pass. Mm. And yet kind of inside the last year and a half, that's just the de facto way that you travel around the world. And I think what we at Czechs are really interested about is like, what are the opportunities that we haven't seen yet? Like what are the combinations of data that are going to be brand new that have tons of value that we just, we haven't expected yet. Wow. So what's interesting um, I, from what I think I've picked up, it's all sort of Facebook and Google. You can sort of sign into multiple different things using those accounts and you're sort of replicating that, but with more actual physical identity, like more, more um, your passports and more personal things. Uh, it's partly that, but it's 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 making all of these things digital, and it doesn't necessarily need to be as strong as a passport. It could literally be like your library card, your gym membership, um, or it could even be something as simple as the fact that you bought a TV in PC World the other day, and now you need it insured by your insurer. Um, like it really can get like quite simple in terms of the data that's on there. Like it, it doesn't necessarily need to be high okay. streams of identity. But the key thing is, it's very much like. Uh, making just any data about yourself digital under your control and then allowing you to use it in a way that doesn't mean that you're tracked all over the place. That's that's really what it comes down to. Wow. It sounds incredibly powerful. Now, we we, we focus on careers now uh, on this podcast. And with this, you know, kind of tech world and, and, and this this growth of, of tech companies like yourself, um, what are some of the technologies that you're using to build this that people thinking about careers in tech could, could start to wrap their heads around? Oh, I guess mainly the key one is, is blockchain um, mm. and distributed ledger tech. Um, but I think given the topic of it, like really there's, there's just this huge stack that gets involved. So 
like if you start from like the ground up, it's everything like cloud. So AWS, Azure, all that kind of jazz, mm. like going up through the infrastructure layer. So you're looking at like a DevOps skill set. So very much like infrastructure as code. Then you're up into the blockchain network itself. So we're on Cosmos, um, like other ones that would be like Polkadot, Solana, like all that kind of crowd, or the old school, like Bitcoin, Ethereum. And then you're moving up into like the application side. So that's starting to be in like Node, Java, Golang, Rust, um, all those kind of skill sets. And then you're going forwards into like, um, like mobile app dev as well. So you're mm. starting to see stuff like React Native, uh, Swift, um, or Kotlin as well. So there's just like this whole range across the entire stack, um, as well as something that's quite unusual in what we're doing, which is like, because of the, the tokenomics of what we're building, because there is a, a like native token on the, on the network. Yeah. One of the really unusual skills that we found is like the ability to model tokenomics because it's this strange blend of like statistics and analysis and modeling mixed with behavioral economics. And it's just this really niche area that there really aren't that many people looking at, but it's, it's completely fascinating. Wow. Sounds, it sounds very cool. But let's let's go back a bit and start talking about how you got started in your career. You know, what did you do? Did you go to university? Or how did you get involved in this whole world of tech? Sure. So uh, studied engineering uh, and imperial um, mechanical engineering, which is I'm not doing obviously anything to do with that now. Um, but yeah, I went off and studied there and I was quite fortunate in that I was sponsored through by some initiative from the Northeast. I'm originally from just south of Durham. Um, and the, the sponsorship was basically, um, I think I had tuition fees paid, which is just incredible. Um, and then every summer there was like, a, an, um, there was an internship lined up at home. So it was in like a factory or blah, blah, blah. And the whole intention was, uh, kind of get someone into engineering and get them back into the Northeast. Um, and the impact of that scheme was that I did neither of those things and I stayed in London and went into consulting. So <laughs> there's probably a big debate on whether that was, uh, I, I assume that on the whole it's successful, but for me, it kind of did the exact opposite. Mm. Um, so I then went into consulting, started at PwC, um, actually doing a mix of consulting and accounting, realized pretty quickly I didn't want to be doing the accounting part and actually wanted to be a lot closer to tech um, and found myself at Accenture. And then, like most people at Accenture, started off just being kind of thrown at a project that I didn't really know or understand. Mm. And then um, it, that ended up becoming um, work on voice biometrics, which I found fascinating was the first time I'd come into contact with like biometrics or identity. But then when I kind of, uh, I kind of carried on doing that for a while and ended up finding myself in a place in Accenture called Emerging Tech. Um, and that just looks at everything that was kind of emerging at the time, as you'd, as you'd, as you'd guess. So yeah. uh, biometrics, AI, uh, crowdsourcing, uh, and then blockchain came along. Um, so I'd spent a couple of years doing like biometrics, doing a bit of AI, and then this blockchain thing came around and I went to a couple of like Ethereum hackathons, built some like textable e-currency thing with some guys um, and was just kind of mucky around. And then the next thing was going into, um, ended up just getting dragged into like this proposal team at Accenture. And it suddenly became my job that I was like actually building 
kind of blockchain solutions pretty regularly for the space of about like two to three years. Um, And that was how I find myself doing the work with central banks. Um, So that was pretty cool. And I mean, probably the best thing out of that was getting a couple of patents, which just still blows my mind that I ended up in that situation. Um, And then after that, fell into KTDI, uh, the Known Traveller Digital Identity Project. Um, and that's that's really why I spent the last two years. So that was building um, building self-sovereign identity for, yeah, for international travel with the forum, uh, Accenture, and, and two governments. And that was just unbelievable. That was that was so so cool. And then yeah, I guess to present day, um, this kind of opportunity came along as an idea, and it was just one of the things that I couldn't turn down. Like if there was a bigger a bigger problem to solve than KTDI at the time in self, inside self-sovereign identity. Um, building what we're doing at Checked was probably it. And uh, yeah, at that point, it was just a no-brainer. Wow. I can imagine you probably touched on a little bit of uh, coding at university, but going into the world and not knowing probably as much as you would have liked to go into tech, how did you learn it? How did you teach yourself or what happened there? Uh, so I've, yeah, so I know, I know a little bit of coding. So at uni, I did a bit of MATLAB, C, C++. So like I can kind of bumble, basically I could, best way I could describe it is I'm like, I can probably read, but I can't really write, which mm. is also kind of how good I am at Portuguese. <laughs> um, but I guess that kind of like, that's helped on one side, but I think generally it's having like an engineer's mindset of like, looking at a big problem, breaking it down into the smaller problems, and then just tackling those individually. Um, and also, transparently right now, just relying on very, very good teammates who actually know what they're doing. Mm. Um, so I think there's a little bit of like having some of that skill set, but really it's more of a mindset of like, whatever a problem is, like what are the constituent parts? What can you break it down to? And you can start taking like complex systems and making them very, very simplistic. And once you do that, the the solutions become really, really easy once you're not solving a massive, like, interconnected problem. Yeah. Is that something that in the world coming in as that more mechanical engineered mindset, that maybe the tech industry where I suppose a lot of people maybe view people working in tech be slightly more introverts um, and maybe their way of viewing problems is slightly different. Have you found having that and being able to lead a team using those uh, methodical steps quite impactful uh i think so i i think one one thing that's like probably bear in mind certainly for your listeners is like when i was at accenture and working in like tech teams you'd find like people who studied history languages uh geography like they were nowhere near uh tech like they they couldn't write a light of code if you if you asked them to um but they just had this mindset very similar like not necessarily like an engineer's mindset but like just break problems down but also like a very good approach to learning um and i'd say that's probably the biggest thing like i think there's like leading teams and like having that engineer's mindset but just the ability to pick something up and learn it whatever it is um and just have like have that skill set for learning and i think there's it's something i really didn't pick up until the uni like i just kind of got through gcse's and a levels and it was fine mm-hmm. and i didn't really learn how to actually get my head down and get through content quickly until uni 
but I think that's really what has helped me massively is just the ability to pick something up inside like a couple of days to a week and not have to spend months doing it. Um, I think that's just practice, which is a weird thing to say about learning. So obviously being a CEO now of a tech company, um, as you look to grow the team and as you look to build the product, what kind of things stand out for you in applicants or what would stand out for you with applicants or people that would like to jump in and, and get involved in this world of tech? Ooh, um, I mean, obviously one is the right skill set for the job. Um, but I think a lot of it is like, again, that willingness to learn and that approach to learning, like the, as a third point here, but one of the most impressive candidates that we had uh, turned up for the first interview with me and was so well read on the entire space and what we were doing, despite not having worked in it, that I thought that he'd already had an interview with my co-founder, Anka. And I think that's like the most impressive thing. One of the most impressive things that I've seen was just like new inside out and, and could have only have spent like three days of like solid research. Wow. Um, and it's checked out like he's, he's absolutely fantastic. Um, I'd, I'd say the third point is probably like, it's, a, it's like a well-worn phrase or well-worn like trope, but culture, um, mm-hmm. like just having similar, um, similar values, similar approaches and a similar kind of ability to work with each other. And that doesn't mean that like everyone has to get along all the time, but just the, the ability to like still like almost have a, not necessarily a blazing row, but a solid debate, but still appreciate kind of the direct directions and the, the kind of friendship after it. Yeah. Um, I think one of the best things that we've had so far that kind of affirmed that was we, myself and Anka wrote down a load of principles and like values at the start um, when it was literally just the two of us when we were trying to like figure out brand brand and stuff. And when Eduardo and Javed, our head of marketing and CFO respectively joined, we basically went through the exercise again and we thought we'd have to like rewrite it because it was like two extra people. And what had actually happened was we needed to change like a couple of words and that was it. And I I think that's a massive, massive thing. It's just like finding and building that culture from day one is Mm. is so, so key. Definitely. And we like to talk about a lot on the show about portfolios and about how CVs aren't necessarily the best way to get your foot in the door anymore. Um, You know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you can showcase where you've either built a product or you've run some sort of marketing campaign or whatever your skill set is, if you can give practical examples and showcase that, and then maybe even approach, you know, an employer like yourself and say, look, your business could be doing this. This is what I've built in the future or in the past. What do you think? Do you think that would impress you and, and make you sort of take note? I, I think it depends on the role. So um, to give an example, when we were hiring for like more like finance and opsy roles, we were more looking for like experience and immediate understanding. But when we looked at um, other roles like partnerships, marketing, and more of the technical ones, we 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 absolutely relied on like on basically a case study um mm. so it wasn't necessarily like looking at someone's portfolio although absolutely i think that's definitely valuable but we the way the approach that we took to get there was that we we set tasks um and they weren't like they weren't onerous because like 
obviously the bulk of people who are applying and who go through this, like we're not going to be taking on. So mm. we made sure it wasn't onerous, but it was enough to show that someone understood what was going on and could kind of craft something really, really quickly. Um, and across all those roles, like whether it's technical through to, through to marketing, like everyone that we've interviewed in that way has shown their skill set very, very quickly in the same way as like a portfolio would. Um, I, I think the the one challenge I'd have with a portfolio, unless it's like, unless you can con- show complete ownership of the portfolio, you're still probably going to get tested on your skill set because you could be like, if you're, if you've always worked in a team, obviously that portfolio is a team output. So it's, it's, you still need to test like, what was your contribution to that portfolio? Mm. Um, but I absolutely see it as value, valuable. I think we just, we took a slightly different route to get there. Um, so with working in, in the startup world um, and, you know, early, early foundation tech companies, what would be some really crucial personality traits you think helps people to thrive in that environment, whether it be the ability, like you said earlier, to really, you know, stand your ground and make your point and, and then not just sit back? Um, it's a weird, I don't know what I'd call it, but it's some weird, like, it's somewhere between that and flexibility as in mm-hmm. like the ability to stand your ground, but also know like, and it's, it's almost like inventiveness as well. I I'd say, honestly, the, at a proper early stage, it's probably flexibility. It's flexibility and a willingness to just get stuck into anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like two weeks off live and it's just all hands on deck. And half the team is not doing like what we hired them for by any stretch. <laughs> We're all just getting stuck into whatever needs doing, whether that's like legal finance, like operation stuff, like setting up minting and distribution. Like it's just, yeah, the, the willing, I guess I'd almost say it's like the absence of a, not my job, like approach. Yeah. Like if you're someone who just like, whatever it is, is willing to get stuck in, then you're probably one of the right people. Like obviously there's like skill set and a bunch of other stuff, but like that's probably one of the prime like criteria or like uh, traits that certainly I would value. Saying maybe the tech aside, how has it been actually creating a business in an organization? Honestly, fantastic. Um, so I'm transparently a first time founder and honestly it's scared on the French, the living shit out of me. Um, <laughs> it was, it's everything that had stopped me doing this for like years before. Um, I, I just was so, like, the scale of it was so big. You know, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. Mm. Um, but in hindsight, you just get through it and it's incredible and you learn so much. And you also, because of like, because of where you're starting, like you're typically going to go through like an accelerator or a lab or something, you meet so many people um, and your network just grows exponentially. Um, and it's just, I've absolutely loved it. I honestly could not recommend it more. Um, I've learned more in the last like six months than I probably have in a couple of years. Just I dealt with like multiple jurisdictions from like a tax and legal perspective dealt with like culture, hiring, firing, like fundraising mm. and just, yeah. And, and also the, the people that you meet at this stage are incredible. Um, they're people that are like obviously slightly active risk, risk takers, but at the same time, like they are 
typically like if you're hiring well and honestly our team i'm very very lucky to work with them Mm. um just i've learned so much from them um and are such a high caliber so yeah i've i've honestly absolutely adored it and couldn't recommend it more to to anyone listening and would you still do it all again oh absolutely like maybe in a couple of years after this is kind of up and stable yeah absolutely um it's it's one of the things that actually myself and ankle slightly kicked ourselves for a couple of years ago that we didn't go off and do this earlier Mm. um one of the one of the hackathons that we did we came up with the idea of using uh, open banking with like nudge theory like behavioral economics and working that into like an actual business um and there's now a company called nudge that is doing it and it's and it's kind of the basis of loads of other financial apps as well. Oh no. And we were just at the time we we're like, and it was a hackathon, and we went through that classic thing of we built it, we finished it, and we went back to work after it. And we we're just like, oh, maybe there's a thing here. <laughs> and in, in hindsight, absolutely we should have jumped on it and just gone for it. Um, but it was just, yeah, the the wrong timing. And uh, but yeah, absolutely would do it again in a heartbeat. Um if you could go back before all this and teach yourself a score, uh, a skill maybe before university that you think would be crucial or you now wish you knew, um, what would it have been? Um, oh, very, very good question. Weirdly, not, I wouldn't necessarily say a skill. Um, what I'd probably weirdly suggest is just try building something, even if it's very small. Um, I think because the stuff that I've learned has been like more on the hiring side, the kind of that kind of stuff that I typically didn't have to do inside Accenture. But I think for most people, when you go through that process of like just standing something up, you start to realize your gaps um, and you start to realize where you need help. And it's only really by going through that process where you, you figure that out. So I'd, I'd say probably rather than a skill that I wish I'd learned, I just, yeah, for, for anyone like considering it, just try and start it, even if it's just for a laugh. Um, just try and figure out, like, try and build something, see where you get to. Like, it's highly likely that it's going to fail, um, but it will really teach you about, like, whether you're interested in being an entrepreneur, whether you are more suited to, like, a more traditional career um and also what your skill set gaps are and you'll quickly figure out like the ones that you need to fill or the ones that you need to hire to fill mm. um so that would probably be my recommended recommendation which is properly dodging the question but i <laughs> honestly that would be my recommendation no it's actually your, your skill there is to learn from failure almost is which yeah. is quite an important skill yeah, it's it very much like identify your your kind of gaps and just fill them, whether that's you or finding someone else that's that's complementary. Well, Frida, it's been an absolute pleasure um, hearing all about your career and what you're doing at Checked. Um, and thank you so much for coming on. No, it's been a pleasure. Great questions and really appreciate it. And uh, yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, where can people find you and uh, Checked? Uh, if you hunt us down on Twitter, that's probably the best place. So uh, I think we're checked underscore io so c-h-e-q-d underscore io um and then we're also on telegram pretty in a pretty big way and medium um if you search for us both on there as just checked uh, you'll find us pretty immediately as well um so yeah come and find us amazing thank you